You know, there's a principle in the Bible, give credit where credit's due, and when someone breaks a record, you should give them applause. And it's happened in our very midst this morning. Uh, Greg broke strings on three guitars in one morning. Come on. Yeah, you don't see these feats every day, so uh, we have to uh, recognize them. But I, I, uh, I do appreciate the way that uh, Greg has learned to just continue the, the worship in spite of things that uh, are going on like that. They can be nerve-wracking, but he's got it down to an art, i got to tell you. Uh, in any event, uh, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Matthew 8. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Matthew chapter 8, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're in verse 28. It says, When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding, so the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Let's pray. Father, I just... Uh, Thank you for your word, and Lord, you don't keep anything away from us, Lord, and I just pray that everything that the, the Spirit wants to convey to us this morning, Lord, that you open our hearts to receive it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please, greet one another. At Calvary Chapel, we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we recognize the temptation that every pastor has to skip over portions of Scripture, to leave out portions of Scripture that seem strange or that may turn off the congregation. The temptation not to teach certain scriptures because people may not want to hear it. It may turn them off. They may even leave. There's a strong temptation, which I am personally well acquainted with, just to pick out verses on Sunday that are inspirational, positive, and modern. When pastors are choosing their Sunday morning material, Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34 usually doesn't come to mind. I mean, men possessed by demons, demons that talk to Jesus. In the book of Luke, this same account, Jesus talks back to them. He asks them, what's your name? And they said, we are legion. Legion was a military unit of the Romans of 6,000 soldiers. In other words, 
This guy was possessed by 6,000 demons. And I mean, okay, that's it. You know, I, I think I'll choose something else for this morning. I mean, my fragile, tender little sheep, they're not going to be able to handle this. I think I'll go, you know, teach about Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, something really cozy like that. But giving into the temptation is only going to hurt the sheep. This story is mentioned in three Gospels for a reason. As I've said many times, even if something is mentioned once, we should study it carefully, but if it's mentioned twice or more times, we certainly shouldn't be ignoring it. And that's why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So, Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. Let us remember the larger scheme of things here. Earlier in the chapter, we studied a great multitude uh, was following Jesus. And uh, as he uh, ministered on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, in verses 16 and 17, we saw Jesus late into the night healing all kinds of people, all manners of diseases. It got so overwhelming that he decided to leave to the other side of the lake, and a storm came up out of nowhere, and with a word, the storm fled or was calmed, and the disciples watching it, witnessing this whole thing, it says in verse 27, who can this be that even the winds and the waves obey him? And then it goes on to verse tw uh, 28. It says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, or the Gadarenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Now, there is so much weirdness and confusion about Satan and who he or it or whatever he is is that I want to just briefly describe to you what the Bible teaches. Sometimes you hear that Satan is, is like a, a, a force or a, a being that is God's opposite. Sort of like the yin-yang thing. If you don't know about that, good. Uh, if, you do know, uh, you know, if you do know about that, you're familiar with it. It's like good and evil. You know, God is good, Satan is evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God created a host of angels. And that one of them, Lucifer, who was very high in the hierarchy, uh, the order of angels, wanted to exalt himself above God, and God cast him to the earth. Jesus said in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I saw him, Satan, like lightning be cast down to the earth. In Revelation 12, it says a third of the angels in heaven were cast out with him. From that point on, Satan has been in a cosmic struggle to confound, to confuse God's people and the kingdom of God. And he goes about doing it in several ways. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 2 says he lures and guides people into a life of opposition to God. He also twists God's word. In John 8, 44, he's called the father of lies. He's also called the tempter. 
Probably his most effective weapon, though, is he tries to keep the children of God in condemnation and in bondage. Again, in Revelation chapter 12, he's called the accuser of the brethren. In other words, he tries to convince God's children that they're trespassers, that they don't belong in his kingdom. They're trespassing into it. They better get out. Now, demon possession occurs when someone opens themselves up to the demonic world, either intentionally through deliberately pursuing the occult or unintentionally through opening their mind up to demonic powers, either unintentionally through drugs or through various forms of meditation where such as Buddhism, where they're sort of emptying your mind. Meditation is a very biblical concept. If you're filling your mind with God's Word, it's very demonic if you're emptying your mind of basically everything, trying to sort of emptying uh, your mind. And, and a person is demon-possessed. When a person is demon-possessed, they lose their independent ability to control their thoughts and actions. They're controlled by a demon. Now here's what is critical. Listen carefully. The Bible teaches that it is impossible for a Christian to be demon-possessed. Impossible. It's as plain and simple as that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that if you have asked Jesus Christ into your life, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, just as important, you don't hear this as much, just as important as the, the, the truth that the Holy Spirit will not share space with a demon, a demon's not going to share space with God. And you see that in the very verses that we're reading this morning. Case in point, verse 31, the demons plead that they can go into swine, pigs, now, those of you who are going through the Old Testament with us know that pigs in Jewish law were unclean. Then later on in the book of Acts, actually in the New Testament, they're declared clean. But in the Old Testament, they were unclean. They carried disease. God wanted to preserve a people. They were unclean. So the, the, the swine asked, let us go into these swine. So they chose, as they always do, an unclean vessel. You don't have to, or someone doesn't have to worry, even people who aren't Christians don't have to worry that they're going to be waltzing down the street and then all of a sudden they're possessed by a demon. They have to either deliberately pursue the occult or they unintentionally, through opening up their mind through drugs or through uh, meditation, uh, uh, open themselves up uh, to it. Now, Calvary Chapel uh, takes a very firm stand on this particular issue because many people have been very damaged by a teaching that has become quite popular in this country that Christians can be demon-possessed. And uh, entire ministries have been built up to solve everyone's problem by delivering them from demons. So you have a drinking problem. You have a drinking demon. You have a smoking problem. You have a drinking uh, or a smoking demon. You have an eating problem. You have an eating demon. You have a lying problem. Lying demon. You have an anger problem. An anger demon, and so on and so forth. And the reason that is so dangerous is why? Very simple. It takes away the personal responsibility that all of us have for sin. The Bible says that if I have a drinking problem or a smoking problem or a lust problem, an anger, worry, or eating problem, it's because my heart 
is desperately wicked beyond cure. The Bible says I confront those problems not by casting out a demon, but by reading God's Word, praying, and with the help of the Holy Spirit and the children of God, the church, you have power to obey God and get out of them. Sometimes it takes, for certain things, it takes longer than others. But it's not exer being exercised of a demon, not to minimize demon possession. However, Paul says in Second uh, Corinthians, be mindful of Satan's schemes. And when he says this, he... he He's saying, what he's saying is, look, don't go out and look for Satan. He's been a lot, around a lot longer than you. He's a lot more intelligent than you are. And he's a lot more powerful, apart from God, than you are. But you should be aware, you should be cognizant of his schemes, his goals, his agenda, his lies. There is a spiritual warfare that every Christian who is following Christ must reckon with. So back to our verse. It says in verse 28 again that these demon-possessed men lived among the tombs. And in Luke, it says they were away from the city. They were away, alone, isolated. Lesson number one. This is Satan's number one mode of attack against you to isolate you from God's people, from His Word. Because when He has done that, lies, His lies and His deceit is so much more effective. When it's not being counteractive, uh, counteracted with anyone or anything. If you think that Satan's supreme work is putting some voluptuous babe or hunk in front of you, scantily dressed, you're wrong. That's not Satan's supreme work. It's to isolate you from God's people, from the Word. Because let me tell you, once he does that, everything is like easy fishing. I mean, it's like real and you're in. You know, you're, you're on your own. You know, people who say, oh, I can be a Christian and not go to church, they have an unfathomably dangerous view of their own strength. The Bible says every day, Hebrews 3.13, we should be amongst the brethren. And you think you can go week in and week out on your own? Verse 29, it says, and suddenly they cried out, these are the demons cried out, saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I did a lot of street witnessing when I was a young Christian, and one of the teams uh, that I went out with for the first couple of years, had to, uh, we had to memorize a whole bunch of Bible verses and share them with people. And believe it or not, this is one of the verses that we memorized. Looking back on it, I'm like, how weird. But, but uh, this is one of the ones that we did. What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? And the reason that they wanted us to uh, share this particular uh, verse was to uh, demonstrate uh, to people that even the demons believe facts about God. So the fact, if you believe facts about God, that, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, 
you know, Christmas, Easter, he raised from the dead, he was born, uh, born of a virgin, this type of thing. Well, the, the demons believe that. I mean, here you have a demon saying, oh, you son of God. Now, amazingly, it may seem a little strange to us, but demons don't struggle with unbelief and doubt as we do. They know who Jesus is. And more than that, they know his word. They know his word. Because what does it say right here? It says at the latter part of verse 29, it says, uh, have you come to torment us before the time? Have you come to torment us before the time? Now, uh, in Luke, it says they begged him to be, not to be thrown into the abyss or the bottomless pit. In Revelation chapter 20, it says that in the end times, and I know Revelation chapter 20 was written after, but it, it's the word of God. In the end times, Satan and his demons will be cast into the abyss, the bottomless pit. So here you see, not only the demons not only believe in, in Jesus and who he is, but they know God's word. They know God's word. Okay, verses 30 and 31. Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. In the book of Mark, it says there were 2,000 uh, uh, pigs. In verse 32, it says, and he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine violently uh, went down violently uh, down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Now, many people have struggled with this one. Why would Jesus, first of all, why is Jesus even answering, even responding to a demon? Why, and, and, and more than that, why is he granting their request? And you read some of the craziest explanations of this. Anytime, you know, be careful of commentaries because... I mean, people just try to explain away things when there's no need to. There's one guy who was explaining this. He goes, oh, well, these were wild pigs. And I'm like, so what? I mean, you know, what does that mean? He's like, the only God only loves pigs on the farm or something like that? You know, what does that make a difference? Uh, you know, an another explanation is this was an act of judgment because he was going to a Jewish area. Why do these Jews have pigs? And this was an act of judgment. But that's probably not correct. Jesus said repeatedly that when he comes, came the first time, he said he was not a judge. So I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it, to heal it. He'll come again as a judge, but not this uh, first time. So why this episode with the 2,000 pigs? I mean, this is, when you think about it, pretty intense. I mean, 2,000 animals, they wouldn't even fit in this, this area, and they went right into the sea and perished. They were destroyed. Well, throughout the Gospels, Jesus wakes us from our spiritual slumber by slapping us in the face, by doing stuff like this. You know, last week, Scott, in John 6, uh, verse 53, quoted Jesus, who, was, who said to, uh, to, to the multitude, actually, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
when I gave my life to the Lord 17 years ago. I gave it to the Lord because a friend gave me a small commentary on the book of John, and when I read it, when I began to read it, began reading the Bible for the first time as an adult, I read verses like that, and, and my thought was, I don't know what this means, except that it does not describe my relationship with God. I mean, I, I had heard the gospel many times since I was about 16 or 17, but for years, it didn't do anything. But when I read that, I knew that something was desperately wrong in my heart. And I radically gave my life to God. And I thank God that Jesus uses verses like those and, and, and did things like this with the 2,000 swine to wake us out of our spiritual slumber. One way or another, he's going to do it. Uh, he will let us know that we're an incredible spiritual struggle. If we can't figure out that we're in an enormous spiritual struggle from this story, I don't know what it's going to do or what it's going to take uh, to convince us. Yes, God loves all animals, including pigs. The Bible says that on the sixth day of creation, God saw everything that he had made, and he said, indeed, it is very good. But let me tell you, if God has to sacrifice 2,000 pigs and have a million animal rights activists marching on his throne to prove to you how much he loves you, he will do it. If he has to go to the cross and be killed to prove to you that he loves you, he will do it. You are made in the likeness of God. Now, you know, pardon me to all you and, and us tree huggers, because I have a tree hugger streak in me, but pigs were not made in the image of God. Neither was an, any animal. Only man. And God says only man, only man is God's treasured possession. In Psalm 17, it says that you and I are the apple of God's eye. Jesus did things like this to wake us up out of our spiritual <laughs> slumber. And you know, this story is a glorious reminder. It should be a glorious reminder to all of us of what we've been saved from. It says these men were in, in, in the book of, of Mark that they were crying out day and night for years. And I've been praying this weekend for everyone in this church, everyone in this room, that you would understand, that you would get a glimpse of what you have been saved from. You know, we talk a lot about what we have saved into, and that's incredibly important. But, but we need to remember what we've been saved from. Every morning in my devotion, I, I try to take some time remembering what I have been saved from. Now, any of you have suffered from severe depression? And yes, Christians do suffer from depression. Or, or any of you have had someone very close to you die, particularly someone who was young? Or if you've been in a divorce or close to a divorce? 
you know something about the torment of a soul. Any of you have, who have been in heroin addiction, I know there are several of you, or, or a, a narcotic addiction where there's acute withdrawal, you know something about the torment of a soul. You know, Hebrews 2.15 says, Christ, when he saves us, he releases us or releases those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I've shared this with you before, but before I was a Christian and even in my early years, I was in slavery to all kinds of fears, fears which would torment my soul, the fear of losing my wife, the fear of, of losing my son. But I, but I used to go, and this was more before I was, right before I was a Christian, I used to go for weeks convinced I was dying, and I would become dysfunctional practically. It tormented my soul. It was, it was, it was bondage. God removed them, these fears, completely, with no human intervention whatsoever. Here you see Jesus with a word. He says, go. <laughs> these demons are gone, off to the swine. Now, some of you may not know a whole lot about soul torment. For you and everyone else here, the Bible teaches that there is a torment that God has saved you from, a torment in eternity that lasts for anyone, uh, lasts forever for anyone who deliberately chooses to reject God. And the torment of these men in Matthew 8 is a foreshadowing of that. to take a drink before I share this story. Before I came to Boston eight years ago, I was an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, Miami Beach in Florida, and our church supported missionaries to Jamaica by the name of Harvey and Mary Kay Armstrong. Harvey gave his testimony to the church, and you know, I just love testimonies. Yeah, I've heard hundreds of them. I love hearing what God has done in people's lives, but I have never heard a testimony like this one. And, and if I could bring them up here, I, I, I would. That's probably not going to be practical, but I'm going to share some of his testimony with you. He, Before he was a Christian, Harvey was a Florida State trooper. And about 25 years ago, there was a brush fire in the area that I-75 uh, runs through. I-75 I is an interstate highway that runs through Florida. And because of the smoke from the brush fire, the visibility on the highway was practically zero. And so what happened is that cars started crashing into each other. About 10 people died. I was actually in my late teens at the time, and I, I, I remember it being reported in the news. Well, Harvey uh, was, a state was on the state trooper group that was assigned to this area, and he was called to the scene and there was a big pileup of cars with you could, couldn't see anything because there was smoke and um, he there was a car on fire and and he uh, there was a woman trapped inside and he ran up to it and he pulled open the door of, of the car and this woman was reaching out to him crying out for help and as he was reaching to her 
the car blew up. And instantly, 80% of the skin on his body was burned off. He was rushed to a hospital, never knew it, found out what happened to the woman. He was rushed to the hospital, and his entire body was wrapped in bandages. For an entire year, each day, they had to remove the bandages and dip his body into a medicated solution, a bath of like iodine or something, which the contact with the medical solution on any part of the open burn caused searing tremendous pain. And, and every single day he would be lowered into this uh, uh, medicated bath and unbearable searing pain would shoot throughout his body. The pain he already had would multiply ten Fold. He would scream at the top of his lungs. Everything in him would cry out that he would just die. For a whole year, every day. Harvey Armstrong knew something about the torment, the utter torment of a soul. He was asked about the experience. Did the experience draw you closer to God? Were you saved because of this? And he said, nothing could be further from the truth. I hated God. That he would allow such a horrible thing to happen to me. How could a God of love, he thought, do this? Put him through such agony. And so, you know, they asked him, well, what made you become a Christian then? About 15 or months, 15 months or, or something um, after, you know, he first came to the hospital, he went home and he had an extremely vivid dream. In the dream, he saw one of his daughters. He had two daughters, four or five years old. And in, but in his dream, he saw one of his daughters and. And she was in her early teens. In other words, she was four or five years old at the time. But here he saw his daughter, but she was in her early teens. Teen. And what was unusual was that she had blonde hair. And his, his four-year-old daughter had brown hair. And here in the dream, she's in her early teens, uh, she had blonde hair. And in the dream, he saw his daughter walking towards a cave. The cave was filled with fire with flames shooting out from it. She was walking into it, and as she was walking, she was looking back at him, waving goodbye. He woke up from the dream, and the Lord told him distinctly, this is where your daughter is headed if you continue to reject my son. In other words, his daughter would follow his example of unfaithfulness, like is usually the case, not always by the grace of God, but it's many times the case. And so all he could think about was the torment that he had been through for an entire year, every day. And the thought of his daughter going through the same thing was unthinkable. He gave his life to the Lord. And a few years later, they, he and his wife, Mary Kay, they became missionaries and uh, they went to Jamaica, and by the time his daughter reached her early teens, her hair 
had turned from brown to blonde. Now, you guys know when it comes to wacky sign and wonder stories, uh, you know, I'm not a fan and I'm very cautious and skeptical. I share this story for two reasons. One, it came from a reliable source, and two, it's entirely consistent with the Bible, which, by the way, most wacky sign and wonder stories are not. Actually, they fail both, both of those qualifications. In Matthew 13:50 and Mark 9:44, Jesus taught uh, that uh, eternity apart from himself is a furnace of fire where there is weeping, where the warm uh, of torment doesn't die, and there is gnashing of teeth. Now, I have personally struggled with the concept of hell, particularly in the early years. And I've spent an enormous amount of time, more than I probably should have, thinking about it. And I, but I concluded that the reason I have struggled with the concept really boils down to one thing. I don't like the thought of hell, and I don't like the thought that so many other people don't like the thought of hell. But if there's one thing I've learned as being a Christian, it's that what I like and what's true are often two entirely different things. And more than that, what the world likes and thinks is fair and what's true are almost always two opposite things. Either I can use my own very limited, modern-day, politically correct, sentimental reasoning and conclude that what Jesus is saying is unfair, or I can accept that the word of, what the Word of God says, that what Jesus said repeatedly, that God is holy and that there is an abode of judgment after death, the place of judgment for all those who reject him. The Bible says that God is holy, that his holiness requires justice, but it also teaches that God so loved us. He so loved the world, the Bible says, that he will go through extraordinary lengths to make sure that every soul in the entire world hears about his love. The, whole, the Bible says the whole world speaks of his glory. The whole world is, uh, it, 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 the whole creation speaks of his, his glory. The whole world is being drawn to him. And if they, if they seek, they will be sent someone. God will go through the most extraordinary lengths to reach out to people. Case in point, let's continue. Verse 30, let me see here. Verse 33. Then those who kept them, the swine, fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Now, uh, turn to uh, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Verse 34, it says, when those who fed them, in other words, those who 
who fed the, the swine, the pigs. See, these were not wild pigs. I doubt they had people, you know, going around the countryside feeding wild hogs 2,000 years ago. They, they were farmed swine. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Verse 37, Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. This is an ex example of the extraordinary lengths that God will take to reach out to people. Think about how amazing this is. I mean, Jesus crosses over a large lake, the Sea of Galilee, at night to go to a remote region. This was a remote region to spend like a couple hours there. He was immediately rejected and then no arguments at all. He gets back in his boat and he returns. Jesus went way out of his way. He went, as he, God always does, through extraordinary lengths to give these people an opportunity to follow him. They reject the opportunity and he leaves. Make no mistake about it. If you're not interested in God, he will leave you alone. What is interesting is, if you go to Luke chapter 8, verse 40, you see that a multitude welcomed him. Now, this sounds kind of crude, but if you're not interested in him, in God, he'll just go to the people who are interested in him. What happens here is a tragedy. It's a tragedy that is repeated world over every day again and again and again and again I can't tell you how many times I personally witnessed this scenario where someone is presented clear evidence of God they see it either in God's word or through a miracle not unlike this one and 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 they see it but they don't want their comfort shattered they are fearful of what they may lose they are fearful of what the future may entail if they follow God so they say no even when they see the truth of God right in front of their eyes. Don't let this happen to you. Be the one that welcomes Christ, not the one that rejects him. Now, if you stay with me, let me just conclude here with the last two verses of Luke. Uh, th that is, uh, the, the, the verses concerning this particular story. Verse 38, it says, Now the man from whom the demons had departed, begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. The Bible says that even as Jesus came once 2,000 years ago, he will come again so that where he is, we can be also. And I must confess that about a thousand times in the last 17 years, I said, Jesus, will you come back now? <laughs> you know, his response up till now, maybe it'll change in five minutes, but it, it, it's response up to now is a gently, no, I, I want you here as a testimony to my love and faithfulness.
And that's what Jesus does with this man. You can imagine being this guy, by the way. What do you want me to do? You want me, what do you mean you want me to stay with these people? Look at what they just did to you. I mean, what do you think they're going to do for me? I mean, they've had, it says, you know, in, in Luke there, it says that they had a guard. They had a guard. They, they had to guard this guy. And, you know, this poor guy had to stay uh, with these people. And, but Jesus says, yes, I want you to stay. And he says uh, there in, in verse 39, and tell them the great things that I have done for you. This is the reason he traveled all night to this area for just an hour or two. Basically to commission this guy. I doubt all these gatherings, as they were called, these people in this area, continued in their rejection with this guy in their midst. Just a living, breathing uh, example. But uh, uh, in any event, uh, this this guy, of all people, knew something of the torment of a soul. And now he's just living in their midst. And so we can do with you. So we can do with you. Whatever your testimony is, even if you know nothing of the the, even if you know nothing about this kind of torment, God will bring you to a place where you understand His goodness, where you understand how much He has saved you from, and you can be a testimony to the great works of God right where you are, right where you are. Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just a short prayer. If you've never prayed it, come up to me after the, after the service. I'll pray it with you. But what it does, it will, it will create a life message for you, a life message that your life will be a living demonstration of in your community, in your family, in your job. Anyway, definitely good verses not to skip over, huh? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, every bit of it, Lord. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have saved us to a place which is safe, Lord God. You say in your word that we in Christ, we are blameless, above reproach, and holy. We're safe from the demonic world. We're also your treasured possession, Lord God, with the righteousness of Christ, Lord. And we thank you so much for that. Lord, help us. Help us be a testimony. We don't, oftentimes, we just don't feel like it. We feel dirty. We stumble. Our image of who we're supposed to be just gets tarnished by things that we do, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes deliberately, Lord. And Father, we pray that you help us. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord, by and create a, a testimony, a living testimony with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. Also, 
If you're interested in Peru, we'll be meeting in about 20 minutes. Actually, we'll probably meet up here in about 20 minutes.